Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and stay with us because coming up here in just a moment, I had an outstanding conversation with our U.S. Energy Secretary Dan Brulette. He was uh, just about an hour ago this happened. He actually today was up at the Minot Air Force Base taking a look at all our defense systems, if you will, our nuclear defense systems. He had roundtables with our outstanding oil and gas producers and our coal producers. You're going to find out why the United States has a very dark future if there's no fracking. So be sure and stay with us for that. Now, many of you know President Trump went to Kenosha, Wisconsin earlier today. There's been riots, shooting. It has been a hot spot, to say the least. Now, before President Trump went to his roundtable, I'm going to share with you a little bit what he said uh, on his way to Kenosha earlier today, because we have some good news about Bison football. So I want to set this up. President Trump uh, had a chance to visit with reporters on the tarmac. Here's some of what he had to say. I just had a very good conversation with the commissioner of Big Ten football, Kevin Warren. And I think it was very productive about getting Big Ten playing again and immediately. And uh, let's see what happens. He's a great guy. It's a, uh, it's a great conference, tremendous teams. And we're pushing very hard. I think the biggest headwind we have is that you have uh, Democrats that don't want to see it happen. But I think they want to play, and the fans want to see it, and the players have a lot at stake, including possibly playing in the NFL. You have a lot of great players in that conference. So we had a very good conversation, very productive, and maybe we'll be very nicely surprised. They had it closed up, and I think they'd like to see it open, along with a lot of other football that's being played right now. So thank you very much, and thank you to Kevin. So we all want to see more football, right? But you got to take a step back and go, okay, so why is President Trump talking to the commissioner of the Big Ten? Let me just let me just lay this out for you in case you don't know why. Who's in the Big Ten? Oh, yeah, that would be Wisconsin. You've got Michigan schools. You've got Ohio schools. You've got Minnesota. What does all that mean? Those are battleground states. That's why President Trump is, hey, give me some football this fall. We love our football. Let these people go to the games. Let me look like I'm the, the hero to solve that problem. And, oh, by the way, if you can have, you know, 100,000 people in the Michigan Stadium, even if it's 50, 25,000, that means, hey, guess what? I can go have Make America Great Again rallies in those states as well. So it's nice how he's putting some pressure there on some pressure points to see how that plays out. And I want to start with the football bit because there's some great news about NDSU. As we know, we're unfortunately, as of this moment, there's only one NDSU game this fall. They announced earlier today there's going to be 10,000 tickets available for that game that's coming up. They're going to have social distancing. It's October 3rd, just as a reminder. So social distancing, uh, no tailgating allowed. You have to wear a mask. Concession stands are going to have some different additional uh, protection as well for the concession stands. But we'll have it all sort of laid out for you. And if you end up not going to the game, good news is you can watch it right here on Valley News Live. All right, let's go back to Kenosha now for a moment. President Trump held a roundtable earlier today, a lot of it with law enforcement, you know, people from that community. And, and there, there was a lot of great things in the roundtable. I want to share with you, though, the chief of police from Kenosha had a chance to speak. And this is sort of how he opened up the conversation with President Trump. Thought it was very interesting. Here's some of what he had to say. Mr. President, first of all, thank you for the support. Thank you for coming to what is uh, small town America. Kenosha is 100,000 people. By uh, national standards, we're still small. But what you also have here is a reaction to, is an attack on small town America. The tactics that are being used across this nation to attack law enforcement are, are warfare type tactics. 
statement, attack on small town America, war, war type tactics that are being used right now uh, against our outstanding law enforcement officers. And again, to all our law enforcement officers, thank you for what you do to protect and serve. All right, just about an hour ago, I had a chance to have an outstanding conversation. We're going to put this in two parts tonight, but with U.S. Secretary of Energy Dan Brillette, uh, he was in the Minot Air Force Base earlier today uh, talking about our ICBMs, our nuclear arsenal. If you're not aware, that actually falls under the purview of the U.S. Energy Secretary. Then he had a roundtable with our outstanding oil and gas producers, then one with our coal producers. So, again, two parts. This is part one of my inter interview with our Energy Secretary. Mr. Secretary, welcome to Point of View, and thank you so much for coming to North Dakota. It's always great to have a cabinet member here. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. You had quite the day, mine at Air Force Base, roundtable with coal producers, oil and gas producers. I guess, you know, for the people watching here tonight across our great state, what's the most important thing you took out of today that you can go back to D.C. and actually make a difference with? Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a great day here, and it's been fantastic to be here in North Dakota. Uh, with the people who have made America uh, the number one producer of oil and gas in the world. And uh, I've learned a lot today listening to them talk about what's needed to move to that next level of production. You know, what is it that we need to do as a government to make business easier to do, not only here in North Dakota, but all around the world. The other important lesson I take away uh, is the importance of energy to not only our economic security, but our national security as well. Uh, we spent the morning at Minot Air Force Base, as you mentioned, and, uh, you know, we at the U.S. Department of Energy have a unique responsibility, not only for energy policy in America, but also for our nuclear policy in America, which includes the nuclear weapons program. Uh, we manufacture, produce, and then we take care and, and provide stewardship over the nation's nuclear weapons program, which is so key to the mission here at Minot Air Force Base. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people realize that like, that falls underneath your purview. I, I want to get to that in a moment. But as you know, I mean, President Trump's a man of action. His administration is. So was, was there anything today that you thought, hey, I can sink my teeth into that. I can bring that up to President Trump and I can actually make a difference for the energy producers, the mine at Air Force Base or anything particular really jumped out to you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's the relationship between the production of things like baseload electricity to our national security for installations like Minot Air Force Base. You know, we spent a lot of time today talking about that and the importance of the provision of electricity to these installations. But also, you know, just drove home the point once again, how important energy is to our national economy. You know, as I like to point out, and I pointed out to the group today, energy makes up roughly 8% of our GDP, but importantly, it's the first 8%. Everything else that we do in the U.S. economy depends upon the production of oil and gas upon the generation of electricity. And it's that connection that I think we need to articulate to policymakers in DC and to others, even at the state level. It's very, very important that as we look down the road, we get beyond this pandemic and we return to life, you know, as normal as it can be post pandemic, that we never lose sight of the fact that almost every goal we have as a nation, be it national security, be it the defense of our country, be it the, you know, the, the, the production of jobs, the, the creation of jobs all across the country, depends upon energy. And it's the people here in North Dakota, the people who have scratched a living out of this earth, that, have, that have, they have made us not only energy independent, but they have made us the producer that we want to be in the future. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I want to kind of go through each one of the roundtables and maybe start with the Monad Air Force Base. The fact that, and I love what you said, you know, energy independence is national security. Vice President Pence was at the 
uh, Minot Air Force Base back in October of 2017. And one of the things he really focused on or talked about was, hey, we need to upgrade our nuclear arsenal. So can you give us an update on that now? Where are we at as far as upgrades? And what did you get out of today as far as our nuclear arsenal and defense system? Absolutely. The, the president's number one priority with regard to the nuclear arsenal or with regard to our national defense is, in fact, the nuclear deterrent uh, that is that we have here in the United States. Uh, if you look through the nuclear posture review, if you read through the nation's na uh, nuclear uh, national strategy, uh, you will see that at the very top of the list. Modernization of the facilities throughout the DOE complex, throughout the DOD complex, is absolutely critical to maintaining that deterrent. And we're doing a great job. One of the missions that I had uh, by coming here today was to ensure that our manufacturing capacity and the production of the nuclear warhead matches the delivery systems that are here at Minot Air Force Base and other installations around the world. Both the Air Force and the Navy are critical partners to the Department of Energy, and we want to make sure that our programs align very closely with theirs. And I'm happy to report that they do. That's what I learned here at Minot today. Great stuff. All right, let's move on to coal. I mean, it's such a important subject right now when you look at the California rolling blackouts, but also I'm sure as you're aware, sir, the Cool Creek Station is potentially going to be shut down by 2022. What, what did you get out of the Coal Producer Roundtable today? And is there a way to save all those jobs and livelihoods at Coal Creek Station? Well, I think, you know, the, the closure of those types of facilities across the country is somewhat concerning to me. Um, I view some of these retirements, not all, but many of these retirements as premature. And as we lose this baseload power, uh, we may find ourselves in a similar situation to what California is in today. And that is, you know, we don't have a dependable source of electricity, uh, not only for our homes, but for these national defense installations around the country. That's very, very concerning to me. So, you know, the economics of each one of these facilities will drive, you know, these ultimate decisions that are made by these companies or in certain cases by co-ops. But as a policy matter, it's very important that we evaluate the, the regulatory environment in which they have to operate and ensure that there aren't market rules or distortions in the marketplace that is artificially creating this problem all throughout the country. So how, do, how can you do that? And you, you had a really good piece. I think it was just August 30th about increasing, you know, natural gas pipeline capacity, which would be fantastic for our state. At the same point in time, you know, we've become so efficient at fracking right now in America has fracking somewhat almost cannibalized the coal business because natural gas now is so cheap? No, I don't think so. You know, it, obviously natural gas is very, very cheap and it makes, you know, coal somewhat less competitive. But I'm not quite sure that's the ultimate uh, problem we face today. I think what we're facing are market rules and we're facing government imposed market rules within the auction markets across the country. And what, what is happening, at least in certain auctions, is that Providers of renewable energy like solar and wind, which are very important components of our national uh, energy infrastructure and our national grid, are being allowed to bring in subsidies into these auction markets, allowing them ultimately to price their product at below zero pricing. Well, Chris, you, you don't need to be a PhD you know, <laughs> economist from the University of Chicago to understand that if someone's pricing their product at below zero, everybody else in that marketplace is going to be uneconomic. And the result of that is going to be that they're going to close. They're going to close their doors. And those are the types of things that as policymakers in Washington, D.C., and at the state level, we need to address. And in my view, we need to address them very quickly. 
So how do you go about doing that? Because as, as I'm sure you're aware, I mean, part of what happened with the Coal Creek Station was that Great River Energy was using the wind subsidies. I mean, it could be a billion dollars over 10 years to help, uh, you know, make it maybe potentially more efficient to not need that coal. So how can you go back to D.C. and start to get rid of some of these situations that are impacting the, the coal plants? Well, I think it's going to be a joint effort. I mean, obviously, there's tax law. Uh, that Congress can address, and, and, and perhaps at the state level, there are certain tax laws that state legislators and governors can can address. But you know, the creation of the uh, auction markets that I referenced earlier, those are federal creations. Those are created by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC. And I think the current chairman of the FERC is doing a great job. Chairman Neil Chatterjee uh, just led an effort to propose a new rule. It's called the Minimum Offer Price Rule. And the intent behind that rule is to equalize or take away some of the you know, the advantages that uh, certain generators have because of the subsidies. If we can look at these market rules and perhaps address the distortions, we can fix this problem. Nice. Um, I want to one more question on coal. As you know, we've got Project Tundra here, big about carbon capture. Um, I, I think there was a similar type of um, in Mississippi or Missouri, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, but my, my point is, does, does Project Tundra, will it pencil out, I guess, is the bottom line? I think it will if we can complete the process on 45Q. If, if we can work closely with the IRS, and we have, uh, Secretary Mnuchin and I have had many conversations around 45Q. If we can get this program finalized and provide the clarity that the industry is looking for. CCUS is a technology that I think has a very, very bright future. And I think, you know, it's important for us to, to address these issues very squarely and very quickly. The investment opportunities will go away if we don't complete this process. Congress took the first step. We as uh, members of the executive branch, as regulators, the IRS in this case, have an obligation to complete the regulatory process so that the industry understands what this world will look like. You know, it's also very fitting, you know, that a project like this one and the use of CCUS go forward because it fits squarely with President Trump's strategy. You know, when I was hired as, as the Deputy Secretary of Energy and now as the Secretary of Energy, the president made very clear that he wants to develop every form of energy in America. He refers to it as all of the above, and he means exactly that. We need to produce all of our energy very, very efficiently here in the United States. And with technologies like CCUS, we can do it very cleanly. So it's important that we move forward aggressively. So with that being said, sir, one of the things, including all the above, especially here in the Red River Valley and across the great Midwest, uh, is ethanol. There's been some, and I know this isn't your purview, but concern about some of the ethanol waivers. Where does ethanol, in your opinion, fit into the all of the above? Well, I think, I think it has a future in the all of the above strategy. I mean, ethanol is a component, as you know, to raise the octane in gasoline. It's, a, it's probably the, uh, the only thing that we can have or the only additive that we can use today that's environmentally friendly and raises the octane to the point where the newer technologies that are coming out of Detroit and other auto manufacturers around the country uh, can reliably count on. So we want to see that industry thrive. And I know there's been some pain uh, in the ethanol industry with the closures of the refineries. Uh, but once we get past this pandemic, once we get past this regulatory uncertainty that faces us all, uh, they have a bright future and a place in an all-of-the-above energy strategy. All right, stay with us for part two, because in part two, we talk about this conversation today with the roundtable with our outstanding oil and gas producers. What did he get from that? What's he going to do to help? Stick around. We'd love to know your point of view. We heard there from our great energy secretary. Email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.